Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio on this radio station, and, of course, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. How you doing, Doctor? I am good today. We have a great show lined up, as usual. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've ever had a bad show lined up. But today we're going to uh, break tradition. And do what? And talk about COVID again. Oh, no. no yeah, no, no. I, we've talked about COVID a little bit in the last few months. But, you know, what I've been purposely trying to do is get us back after two years mm-hmm. of being on track, I, I'll never forget um, walking into the studio. I think it was January of 2020. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about what we're going to do, and and you said, and I want to talk about coronavirus. You didn't say COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were calling it coronavirus back then. I looked at you and I said, "What? <laughs> you right. knew more about what was going on in China at that time than I did." Um, and, you know, think back to those days. Right. March Scary. of 2020. Yep. You know what the death rate was in New York City in the first wave? It was terrible. 10%. 10%. I mean, that's far more than the flu. Oh, yeah. And and you look back now, and I think if you want to know why it's so much less, I think there's a number of factors. I think, number one. Uh, I think more people have had it, and therefore the number of people who are going to get sick who weren't expected to get sick. I don't know if you remember this, but there are a lot of people who did not have pre-existing conditions who were dying back then. And I think number two, um, we were making a huge mistake, not because we were doing it on purpose, but because we didn't understand the disease. And that was early intubation okay, and early mechanical ventilation. And I don't know if you remember, uh, Cuomo, the governor of New York, was on TV screaming at the Trump administration for not producing more ventilators. And I'll never forget, he said, we're going to need 40,000 ventilators in the next several months. And that's not true. It didn't turn out to be true. It didn't turn out to be true. But you remember, I got mad at Ford for uh, their not repurposing their automobile. Uh, plants right, to turn right. into ventilators because I bought into all this and rightly so because we had no idea what to do. Right. And so uh, the death rate now is about 0.2% and it's very low. It's still slightly higher than that for uh, seasonal influenza, yeah. which by the way, yeah. disappeared again. Oh, this did year. you're not getting anybody in the, I've had in one, the office. One case. Okay. One case. So, the Biden administration is now facing a super spreader event. Well, and I'm super spreader in in our day and age. Okay, in in the the day of the two year uh, fiasco of of COVID. Yeah, and I said about thirty people got it. Okay, and this was at the Gridiron dinner. You know what that is? No, 
it is a super secret collection of <laughs> people who are in government and in the press. Uh-huh. And they get together, and you're not supposed to say what goes on inside. Um, <laughs> but apparently, everybody had to show a vac- vaccine card, just right. like they did in New York, to get into a restaurant. Uh, they did not do testing, however. Oh, yeah. So, unless, you know, they were part of the crowd with fake vaccine cards, they all were vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and there was one table. They won't say who it was. Yeah. But obviously, it had to be a table with uh, high-ranking Biden officials. I mean, I mean, look who got it. Pisaki got it for the second time. Right. And then uh, the Speaker of the House, Nancy, got it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lord knows about 30 people got it. Now, none of them got sick. But when you look at how the Biden administration has approached the uh, uh, pandemic, which yes. is now endemic in my uh, opinion. What's the difference? Pandemic is a sweeping worldwide viral thing that goes away, mm-hmm. like the influenza of 1918. Yeah. Endemic means it's here to stay, and we're going to get it. Uh, it's going to cycle through. There's going to be you know different variants that come along. Accept it. We have to live with it. So when you look at what the Biden administration would say about outbreaks in Republican situations. So remember uh, Coney Barrett, Amy, is it Amy yeah. Coney Barrett? Yeah. When she had her outdoor maskless or mostly maskless celebration of her approval to the Supreme Court, there was an outbreak. Hmm. And it was just nuts, if you remember. Look at these people, you know, they're awful. They weren't wearing masks, you know. Blah, 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 blah. Well, here it happened at the gridiron dinner with right. Democrats. Right. Now, I'm not blaming the Democrats. I'm not saying they're bad people. And you remember you you would get the idea that if you got COVID, it was your fault. And mm-hmm. You were somehow a bad person because you didn't do what um, the grand poobah Fauci said. And if you were someone who objected to mandatory shots. Yeah. And wearing masks everywhere and having children wear masks. And then you ended up with COVID. You oh, were you just were. a horrible person. Right, right. So the answer is it's here to stay. We're going to have to accept it. I recommend everybody get a vaccine. I recommend that those who are at high risk. And, you know, what What percentage of the deaths uh, those people had diabetes. What 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 do you what would you expect? Oh, I think and it was close to seventy. It was about fifty. 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 So, and the elderly made right? up, you know, probably half of the population. Now these people need to be protected, and so the answer is: if we know who is at risk, those people need to self-isolate for the mm-hmm. most part. Be mm-hmm. very careful about their exposures. And, and, you know, most of my patients who died, and I probably had 30 mm-hmm. people, long-term patients, who were elderly for the most part, for the most part had coronary disease. That's what I do for the most part. Right. Um, how did they get exposed? By hanging out with their grandkids. So the kids who were 20 to 25 had the sniffles or were asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. And so we know what to do now. And so my take on this gridiron club dinner is, okay, yeah, yeah, 
it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the answer is go to the gridiron dinner, go out to a restaurant, mm-hmm. have fun. If you have an elderly grandmother or grandfather, if you have a cousin who is obese and has diabetes, mm-hmm. You need to be extra cautious around them. Right. But in terms of the rest of the country, yeah, there's going to be there are going to be a lot of people who get it. And one in a million, and, and that's basically what it is, one in a million people who don't have a classified risk factor are going to die from it. Mm. And, you know, I just, uh, it just it blew me away. I had a patient come in. And they were going to a funeral, and I and they had to get through the office quickly. And I'm yeah. notoriously late. Okay, I just am not, because I spend as much time necessary with each patient. Sure. Anyway, I said, "What happened?" And I said, "I'm going to a, a funeral of someone who died of COVID." It was a 19 year old man. Oh my! Who had no risk factor. So that's going to happen. But what the the analogy that I'm going to use for our country is driving a car. Yeah. We're not going to make everybody drive 20 miles an hour on this freeway. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to make everybody wear a helmet and a neck protector like the Formula One and NASCAR drivers are. Yep. Because we're willing to accept a risk. And that's 50,000 people dying a year. And we could prevent that. We could. We could prevent almost all deaths except, and even pedestrian deaths, we, we know how to prevent. Um, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, okay, you need to go to grandma's. She's 20 miles away, which would be normally ah, a 10 minute drive, 15 minute drive. Yeah. You want to make that an hour? We're going to drive slow. If it, that studies have been done. If we cut the speed limit to 25 miles an hour on all roads, yeah, we'd probably have 500 deaths a year in car wrecks from weird things that happen. So we have to make decisions as a country and what kind of risk we're going to take. Right. And if you look at Shanghai right now, the whole city's in lockdown yeah. because they have a zero COVID tolerance. And as soon as they have two or three cases, boom, the country is locked. The city is locked down. Um, you have to stay in, in your apartment. Uh, if you walk out of your apartment, uh, you get put in the gulag. Right. What, the Chinese don't call them gulags. What do they call them? Uh, re-education camps. Yes, re-educate you. And the bottom line is we're going to have spreader events like this, and we should let them happen. Yeah. Because okay. we have to live. We have to go on. Um, and do we have time to talk about an example? We do. Of the overkill and, and its effect on people. Quality of life in medical terms is now called QOL. Okay, so they look at not only in studies the outcomes of illness and the outcomes of death, but they look at the outcomes of QOL. Yes. Quality of life. And I think all of us in the back of our heads, even if we're zero tolerance COVID people, recognize that there's this issue of quality of life. Are you going to lose your job? (laughs) That's a bad quality of life. Yes. Are you going to be confined to a room, uh, twiddling your thumbs, uh, watching Netflix? 
Now, some people would mm-hmm. want to do that. I mean, I have some lazy people that I know in college, and what do they do? <laughs> Their parents are spending $50,000 a year, and what are the kids doing? They're skipping class, and they're sitting in their uh, dorm rooms watching Netflix and uh, playing video games. But anyway, yeah. the quality of life issues matter. And so there was a recent um, study um, or um, article about college professors and what they're seeing now in the first-year students. Yeah. They're totally unprepared. Totally. Right. You can't learn long distance. I'm sorry. You can learn something. But just like in medicine, there's something called the human interaction that solidifies things. Um, I know my patients get more when I look them in the eye and say, this is what you have, and this is the medicine you should take, and this is why. Right. But the kids, they're not all right. And, and it's they're not, not all right. just— They don't know enough to, to function as first-year um, college students. And that's the, a quality-of-life issue. It's academics. They don't literally know enough. Yeah. They can't they read. Can't they write, they, can't write, can't Yeah, read focus. critically, write you know, effectively. And so they're having to hold back— on uh, yeah. the knowledge base that they're trying to get into their students in order to teach them how grammar and teach them how to write. But it's also that those students have spent a year on the couch, longer than a year, yeah. on the couch, and the idea of coming to class is new to them, almost right. new to them. Right. And they're just not showing up. Professors are saying right. students are not coming to class. Well, And now all these uh, Gen Xs and Millennials who are in IT, right. uh, in information technology, uh, are in um, you know uh, types of professions where you know you can sort of do your job on a computer. They don't yeah. want to come back to work. Right, right. Yeah. And you know, uh, you know, my kids uh, work from home mm-hmm. during this whole business. Mm-hmm. My two sons-in-law and one of my daughters um, just got on the computer in the morning. Yes. And did team meetings via Zoom and did all this other stuff. And I asked him, um, isn't the human interaction in an office important? I mean, somebody down the hall, you have an idea, <laughs> you, you can run down and talk to them. And, you know, they were on the fence about it. But I, I know that as a physician, I could not be an effective clinician yes. and an effective doctor without a face-to-face contact with my patients. And we're losing that. We're losing that, and we've lost it because of COVID. We're going to talk about fentanyl and an epidemic of overdoses. Some fella got 90 shots, 90 shots of COVID. We'll explain why coming up in a moment. Also, avocado, really good. Avocados are really good for you. Yeah. They're so excellent for ask, you. We're going to ask Tom Selleck. I almost ate one today. <laughs> almost. Also, I got, Listen, I got recommendations about it. Okay. All right. That's coming up. This is Heart Health Radio. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio. Dr. Weefald, who are we shaming? Oh, a whole country. Yeah. Or at least the government. Yeah. China is literally executing people by harvesting their organs. Some of them are alive when they do it. It's just to me, 
unbelievable that a government as a whole looks upon harvesting organs as part of a punishment situation. Is that what it is? People who've been convicted of something? 95% of donated organs in China for transplant come from prisoners in prison. And, you know, my mother uh, came from Shanghai in the late 40s. Uh, she she got into America to study. Right. And she would, you know, eventually tell stories about what it was like there. And when the communists took over, they murdered 20 million people who did not comply or buy into the communist manifesto. Right. And so, you know, it is incomprehensible. What what would you know? And back then, their population was about fifty million, five hundred million. Hmm. And now it's about one point five billion. But back then, five hundred million was a lot of people. Well, we're now three hundred thirty million in this country. Can you imagine twenty million of us? No, being murdered. No. And so you look at the and and that's not part of the culture in China. I can mm-hmm. tell you that right now. My mother was a, a Confucianist, and that's a, a religion where the golden rule is the same golden rule that we have. Yeah, Don't do unto others as you would uh, not have them do unto you. And so it's, it's a question for us here in this country is how are we going to continue um, considering governments like those of Russia and those of the, the communist Chinese uh, party to be people we can live with and do things with without consequence. And I'm not saying go to war, obviously not, but we have to have some sort of moral code mm-hmm. when we deal with, with yeah. countries like that. And I, I, what I see now in Russia and how we're tra- dealing with Russia is a good thing, um, but we got to be careful about you know how it how it affects and seeps into other aspects. We talked about this a little bit last week. We should not be restricting medicines and the ingredients of medicines. We should not be restricting uh, exchanges between doctors right. between Russia and the United States and, and Europe. And there are some Russian physicians who are worried about it, and they're seeing shortages of medicines already because of uh, supply chain issues. So. Right. You know, it's just terrible to think that they're taking these organs uh, from prisoners um, without, in many cases, their consent. So let's uh, all uh, be aware that no matter how you criticize the U.S. of A. and, and Western civilization, that just doesn't happen here. You really want to talk about this woman who has not passed gas in front of her boyfriend for years. And, and let me just tell you, I have personal experience with this at my office. Okay, um, Do just, I do it on purpose? No. But, you know, if I'm in the hallway and there's nobody really around me, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to hold on to the gas. Oh, my. Okay. Everybody just close your eyes and admit. Okay. We all as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. You, I'll just say the F word. Fart. We do. We have to. <laughs> Um, sulfide gas accumulates in our colon, and and we have to expel it. So the story is that this woman never, yeah, ever in front of her boyfriend. What she would do is, uh, you know, do the old 
pinch thing. Yeah. If, uh, Do you go to another room? No, she wouldn't. She wouldn't. She'd just hold it. And what happens when that happens? Well, the pressure builds up inside your colon. Yeah. And you reabsorb the sulfide gas, which is really not a good thing. Okay. I, mean, I don't know if people want to admit this, but when you have a bowel movement and when you expel gas mm-hmm. um, in uh, what we call well, flatulence is the term when you do too much. Um, but anyway, oh, you have to let it rip. How much is too much? Really? Uh, how many times a day do we fart? I have no idea. Twenty-four. Okay, you know. Right? And All if right. you're not, then you're you're harming yourself potentially. So okay. this woman, yeah, uh, she would hang out with her boyfriend, and she yeah. would not get up to go into the other room. Yeah. Um, and expel the sulfide gas. And she wound up with so much pressure around him that one day it was excruciating. Yeah. She went to the hospital and had right lower quadrant pain, tenderness, and uh-huh. rebound. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Oh, she had pain. Uh, if you look at your belly button and your right hand down there and then yeah. above your pelvis. Yeah. And that is a classic pain for an appendix that is inflamed called an appendicitis. Now, she had tenderness because the the uh, organ, and it is an organ, it comes right off where the colon meets the small intestine. It's like a, like a little worm. It's a hollow worm. And it used to be thought in, that it was, you know, a, a completely useless organ, but there's nothing in our body that's useless. Looks like it's an immune type thing where bacteria... Uh, accumulate and we learn how to beat them anyway so this thing got so inflamed from the pressure that she almost uh died Uh, i had to go to emergency surgery and had the appendix taken out so my gosh lesson is accept your body as having the need to expel gas 24 times a day and just just do it as they say in nike just do it she wouldn't Pass gas in front of her boyfriend. Now, I have an impertinent... But she hung out with him 24-7. I have an impertinent question. Yeah. And I, I don't want an answer. It's an uh, you know it's one of those things you don't answer. Yeah. Is he more or less likely to put a ring on it now? I'm just I'm just wondering. To put a what on it? Put a ring on it. In other words, is he, is he going to ask her to marry him now that she's willing to pass gas in front uh, of him? I don't know. Maybe, Married men know maybe, the answer no, to that question. I think this is what he's going to do is get a COVID <laughs> mask and he's going to drip um, you know, some sort of perfume on it and then say, babe, let her go. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. This is the Heart Health Radio Network, and Rose Hoban joins us from NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Rose, welcome to the show. How you doing? Hey, fellas. Hey. Hey, hey. Let's talk about fentanyl. Let's talk about the opioid issue we've got in North Carolina. Yeah, super article mm. here on North Carolina Health News about it. The headline is tension builds around best ways to spend North Carolina's opioid settlement money. What's going on with that, Rose? Tell us all about it. So um, there's there's this money that uh, was negotiated from the, uh, the 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 court settlement with Purdue Pharma, which were the primary manufacturers and marketers of opioid medications. 
And um, the there's a lot of money that's going to be coming to states, not just North Carolina, but all states. And we're going to get close to uh, three quarters of a billion B billion dollars ton of, of money in the next wow. two decades. Yeah. And the the thing that's out there is that you remember that tobacco settlement back from around the year was yes. it 2004? Yes. And we were all supposed to get lots of money from tobacco manufacturers. And the whole point behind the lawsuits was that states, through the mechanism of their Medicaid programs primarily, were spending millions and millions and millions of dollars treating lung cancers that were a result of serious marketing obfuscation by tobacco companies. And so here states were left holding the bag, right? Well, states have made a similar argument when it comes to opioids, that these companies that uh, made and, you know, they, they you remember the, um, the marketing back in the 90s, like, oh, you can't get addicted, you right. know? And, um, and so they had lousy science that they promoted. And so they've been... You know, they, they settled and are now responsible for helping states pay for the fact that tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people have died of overdose. But right. The question is, all that t- tobacco money came and it got diverted by state legislatures, not just North Carolina, but all, most state legislatures didn't spend it on Medicaid. They spent it on bridges or. Wait a minute. Um, wait, 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 wait a minute. Are you telling me, Rose, that there was earmarked money that came to the government and they didn't spend it on the uh, the, the intended thing? Right, right. Well, lawmakers were like, well, hey, here's this money. That's and shocking. Yeah, you know. Shocking. Now, Rose, are we going to spend this opioid money on drug treatment? Well, here's the thing, and this is something that actually kind of got our legislature bent out of shape is that our attorney general, Josh Stein, he actually created, when they did the settlement, they wrote very specific guidelines about how this money could be spent, which kind of ties the hands of the legislature from just spending it willy-nilly. And um, let me tell you, there were lawmakers who were bent out of shape about that, and they Put they made their displeasure known when they wrote the budget, but that's a whole other story. So now there are these very specific guidelines. However, there's still wiggle room, and the question is, are and counties will get a lot of this money, and so county commissioners will be the ones sort of saying, well, you know, treatment facility A or treatment facility B will get this money, and the question is, will these places be required to have best practice. Now, you know, I, I don't know if we've talked about it. I was raised Catholic, raised in the church, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I believe in God, everything. But the question is, I also worked in drug treatment back in the early 90s. And, you know, just praying or developing your relationship with God is not enough in many yeah. cases, yeah. most cases, to help people get drug-free. Uh, I mean, let me, now, let, yeah, what about AA? Okay, I mean... A, 
Alcoholics Anonymous is is synonymous with alcohol treatment, and it is faith based. Higher power and and all that, and it's and it's a great it's a great uh, uh, you know method. But the reality is, when you look at the evidence, Doctor Weeple, yeah, it's it it's not super successful, mm. and a lot of people relapse and relapse and relapse. And now we actually have medications. And believe me, this oh, yeah. is controversial in the drug treatment world. Yeah. That we have medications that help people be productive and get back to work. Yeah. And really, like, double or triple the number of people who successfully recover. Yeah. And I, I Rosa, I agree with you. Um, but I, I will also say that if there is a faith based program, that incorporates, you know, um, these other issues. They should not be excluded um, just because they're faith-based. No, no, no. That's not the the thing that I'm saying or that we – what we've found is that people do best. It shouldn't be either or. It should be both and. Yeah. Right? And that people do best recovering – and this is not me. This is the data talking about it. When people have access to medication – uh, medications for opioid use disorder, plus the, the the services and supports things like, you know, like this is something that people in the um, recovery community talk about is that people need to have meaning in their lives. Yeah. They need to have you, you need to give them hope. You need to give them the space to dream. You need to give them the opportunity to go. Well, hey, maybe I can go back to school. So. You know, and finally finish or whatever. Right. Well, maybe I can get treated for the trauma that I experienced when I was a kid. Um, yeah, there, there's no doubt that it's a comprehensive approach. And I'm a big uh-huh. believer in methadone and buprenorphine. Uh, and uh-huh. I refer people to the methadone clinic in Johnston County all the time. Oh my. All right. I'm trying to say is, is that there tends to be nowadays amongst what is called the cognoscenti of, you know, government, that you need to exclude faith-based situations. And I just think that's wrong. I I think if there is one that has a comprehensive uh, program, they should not be excluded. Right. Well, there's... That's not what, what, you know, the the Attorney General's office said. This is one thing that one of my, my reporter who did this story, she found... One addiction program, uh, treatment program in Stanley County emphasizes the use of abstinence-only treatment, claiming on its website that medication for opioid use disorder doesn't work. In all caps, it's on the website, in yeah. all caps. Well, I agree with so you on that. I agree with you that's, on that. Right, like that's the issue that, that uh, is being talked about right now, right. is yeah. that these shouldn't be exclusive of one another. Really, the best thing is to have them be inclusive right. right i agree with you 100%. north carolina health org is where you can read the articles i know that rose and the reporters will be on this there's a boatload of money being spent who so much money yeah all right thank you rose hey listen can't wait to see hear from you next week god thank bless you. all right take care guys thank you phil in raleigh welcome to heart health radio hi yes good afternoon gentlemen thank hey. you for waiting Thank you. Uh, I talked to the doctor last week about my upcoming uh, um, stress test on the treadmill. Yes. 
And yes, I did. I took my sneakers, and I had one about 15 years ago, but the same thing happened. Uh, it was supervised by a doctor. Right. And they kept ramping me up and speeding me up, and they looked at each other, and then they asked me, are you a marathon runner? Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. I remember you calling, and yeah, the doctor said, bring your sneakers, and yeah, you did this thing, and they were impressed with your stamina? Apparently, and I said, no, I don't, I don't run at all, and so a doctor supervised it, and then they sent it off to a cardiologist, and my general practitioner called me back, and he said, my results were too good. What does uh, that mean? It messed, it messed up their analytic tools. Yeah. It was too good. We don't believe that's is this, possible. Is this means that he prescribed you uh, five hours on the couch watching TV to get your health a little worse? I uh, no, sir. <laughs> I, I don't. Do you? Do you uh, sorry, Dave. I guess I've got better heart. Yeah, genetics. This is really good. Do you Here's remember how many minutes you lasted on the yeah. treadmill? Did they give you a minute? I, it, it was a lot. They had a hard time getting my heart right yeah. up. How how many times did it raise up? Okay, that three-minute intervals, it raises up and speeds up. Do you remember how many times it did that? I, I do not. Okay. I was on there for a while. Well, you know what's interesting is that you are a prime example of one of the things that people don't realize about stress test. Do you know what the most predictive thing? about longevity on a stress test is hmm. it's called time on treadmill okay yeah. so if you can go three minutes and you get your heart rate up then you're exhausted and all the other factors of a stress test you know the nuclear imaging if necessary and the ekg being negative uh-uh you're still in bad shape because you could not go and so when you're deconditioned no matter how much um, glory you have and the other factors of the stress test being negative, you still have a risk of death. Now, if you can go 14 minutes on a treadmill and have no symptoms, yeah. and even if your EKG is a little abnormal, even if you have you know, a, a blockage found out by, discovered by the nuclear part, you've got a great life expectancy and your chance of dropping dead of a heart attack is really low. So congratulations. I'm not saying that you should, you know, abandon all the the things you want to do to reduce your risk of heart attack. But you went a long distance on the treadmill. We have something called METS, metabolic equivalents. Mm -hmm. And so three minutes on a treadmill gives you about three METS. That's bad. Yeah. Okay. But 14 to 16 minutes on a treadmill, I mean, at the end of that, you're you're basically running uphill at seven miles an hour. Yeah. If you can reach that point, you're in really good shape, and you have a low risk of sudden death. Isn't that great? Well, the the the, the puzzling thing, I, I I do not jog. Right. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I I mow the grass and fiddle around in, in my garage, but. Uh, well, you're naturally healthy. I'm in uh, yeah. tip top shape. Let me ask you a question: How old were your parents when they died? Uh, my mother is 89. Oh, is? Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. You know? And I've had 
great uncles to live into their mid nineties. Yeah, and, and later, you know, this is kind of negative. After World War II, we were always taught that you can't bring up genetics anymore, but it's really, really. I mean, I, an important thing. I I asked my patient. My patients asked me. I'm sorry. What's the secret to longevity? And I'll say, well, it's important you don't smoke. It's important you you know don't pig out and eat too much. It's important to restrict your sugar. Blah 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 blah. But the most important thing is you got to pick the right parents, okay? <laughs> and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with saying we're all different. We have different genetic backgrounds. And that doesn't mean we should discriminate in our social and legal um, uh, areas right. based on genetics. But right. health is genetics. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. And congratulations. You picked the right parents. Phil, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I just thought I would report back in. On I'm this. glad you did. It brought up a lot of issues that I think a lot of people want to know about. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. All right. Take care. Some guy got 90 COVID shots. Nine zero. Nine zero. 90 COVID shots. We'll tell you why in just a little bit. And a couple of shout outs on Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Whoa! You know you make me wanna kick my heels up and down through my hands. Get better, stay healthy, spot medical misinformation, and enjoy yourself by listening to Heart Health Radio on the radio and Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're shouting out Bill and uh, is she Jonna Brooks? Jonna yeah? Brooks, yeah. So my I've always said that plain old fashioned medicine is is great and I think superior to all this artificial intelligence, uh, electronic medicine. So one of the things that's really important in heart failure, when your heart can't pump strong enough to get the blood around, you wind up filling up with fluid because the kidney holds on to it. Okay. So one of the most important things is the patient's weight from day to day. Okay. Believe it or not, some with heart failure, if they decide they're going to have five strips of bacon, they could go into heart failure from that, from the amount of excess sodium. Right. Now, you or I, with strong hearts, will deliver the, the blood to the kidney, and it'll recognize there's too much sodium, and it'll pee it out. Okay. So when you have heart failure, day-to-day weights can vary, and you have to get that weight back down. So Billy had a problem with maintaining his weight, and he was in the hospital four or five times with heart failure you had to get you know water medicine intravenously and blood pressure control and then go home yeah <coughs> excuse me so i told his wife to weigh him every day and call me yeah okay well i don't want to bother you dr Weefong. <coughs> excuse me so we've been doing this now for two weeks yeah and sometimes the weight stays the same sometimes it goes up six pounds but we know what to do. We know exactly the dose of diuretics, and he has two of them that yeah. work together. And his weight comes right back down the next day. He's been out of the hospital. Yeah. Now, they are trying to sell me these, these you know, scales that are connected to the Internet. And then he'll step on it. And then it'll send me an email with the patient's weight. Yeah. And I'm supposed to type in what to do and send the email back. And I said to myself, okay, I just spent 30 seconds on the phone with John and his wife. Right. Got the weight, 
told him what to do, and then the next day he called me back. And yep. it's just, why are we doing this stuff just to say that we can, this internet-based auto-scale stuff? Yeah, right. And it, it, they're doing so great with this. And, and then everybody says, you actually gave them your cell phone number? Of course. Right. Well, why don't you just have them call the office and leave a message? <laughs> Oh, no, yeah, right. No. And then I'm in the middle of doing something else, and somebody wants to give me a message. Then I have to tell them what to do and call the patient back. There could be, you know, miscommunication between, you know, me and the other person. So I just want to shout out this is great. Now, I have about seven patients in similar situations blood pressure, you know, amount of chest discomfort, the weights, and it works. Right. It works. Human to human contact. Wonderful. Works. All right. So this fellow in Germany gets 90 COVID shots because he's doing what? He's selling the cards of proof. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so apparently all these people who were either afraid to get a shot, and do you know what percentage of the people who are in this anti-COVID you know, COVID vaccine are actually afraid of needles? I don't know. About 35%. Sure. And sure. so they they jump on the bandwagon of, you know, vaccines are terrible when in reality they're just afraid of the needle. <laughs> but anyway, so apparently, I don't know what website it is. Maybe it's part of the dark web. But people were selling these these vaccine yeah. proof, proof yeah. of vaccine cards for thousands of dollars. Yeah. So 90 shots. And you know the thing is you don't need to prove that you haven't had one. Sure. You, know, you walk into one pharmacy here, say you haven't had it, they shoot you up, they give you a card. And, and, you know, I guess he was even going back and getting boosters. Is this, well, that's what it is at that point. Yeah. I mean, but if you're he getting is 90. So, I mean, I'm surprised that he hasn't had a huge immune reaction and his arm, I'm surprised his arm hasn't swollen up and turned red. I right. don't know. Right. But 90 of them? That's a little much. Good googamooga. Okay. Well, if he gets COVID, that's really a, the story. Uh, yeah, I want to know. Right. All right. So I've got a question for you, and this has to do with me as regular. Regular dumb question for me. Can you tell whether I have a cold or a flu or allergies it's hard. based upon yeah. the quality of my mucus? Uh, okay. There is a you know rule of thumb. Yeah. You know, you don't put your thumb in your nose. That's okay? the other rule. Yeah. That's one rule of thumb. Yes, yes. If it's clear and thin, okay, yeah. so it's not, it's not, it can, it's, you know, sort of that water dripping down. Yeah. And what's, the, what's the name of that thing above your lip? I have between, no idea the what frenulum. that is. Frenulum? Yeah, so that, that below your nose, yeah. there's like a, a indentation. That's called the frenulum. So if you notice that it's dripping, running down through the frenulum and then, then falling off your lip, yep. that's, that is a thin, clear discharge. It's almost always allergic in nature. Okay. okay. But not all the time. And if it's a little thicker but still clear, that can be a virus. Okay. Right. So virus are little particles of just DNA and proteins and fat. Some people don't even think they're alive, to tell you the truth. But anyway, if it's thick and yellow-green, yeah. yes. that is often sinusitis or a bacterial infection that needs antibiotics. Okay. Although there are a lot of physicians now that are refusing to give antibiotics for otitis media, you know, ear infection. Yeah. Oh, it'll go away. 
Yeah, we don't sure, want to. We don't want to overuse antibiotics. And so, you know, the allergy season is upon us. Yes. And there are ways to deal with your allergies that work. And for me, my allergies are terrible. So right now, um, that little cough was the mucus going down the back of my throat and yeah. getting in my lungs. What I do is what I think everybody should think about doing, and that's getting a neti pot. That's mm-hmm. that's what the Indians, the Hindus did. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, wash and irrigate out your nose with saline yeah. two or three times a day. What does that do? Number one, it gets the mucus out. Number two, more importantly, it washes out the pollen right. and whatever else you're allergic to because the, it will stick in the mucus. And then talk to your doctor about an antihistamine. And I'm talking about a second generation. I was taking Benadryl every night. Yes, uh, part of Advil PM for my sinuses. Yes. And, you know, over the last year or so, you know, I've kind of had a brain fog in the morning and stuff. Well, here I am scrolling through my um, health news reports, and it, it now recommends that anybody over the age of 50 not take Benadryl because it, it has a tendency to fog your brain. Right. It can also lead to urinary retention if you have prostate problems. So there's Claritin, there's Allegra, those are second generation. They don't generally stimulate um, and interfere with the histamine receptors in your brain. They they don't make you as tired. But I really recommend the topical things. And talk to your doctor whether you should use Flonase or, you know, the other topical steroids that reduce the amount of inflammation and immune response. But there's another one that is a topical antihistamine. It's called Astelin. Yeah. And so I use the neti pot, astelin, and flonase. It's been prescribed by my physician, and it really works. I mean, I'm still stuffed up, but I could not even take a breath right. through right. the nose right. if I didn't use those things. And so, you know, don't suffer through with your allergies. And number one, if you go to bed with a stuffed up nose, you are not going to get sleep. Because right. when you're in that deep, deep sleep that yeah. recharges your body, you yeah. have to breathe through your nose. And if you can't do it, your body's going to wake you up to take a gasping breath through your mouth. And you're going to snore like a like a freight train. I did last night. My wife says, yeah. now, I was wearing my CPAP. If you have a stuffed up nose. I still, I still, yeah. yeah. If you have a stuffed up nose, your CPAP's not going to work. Yeah. And that's another reason why you've got to clean that thing every day. Mold will grow. It's a moist atmosphere and mold will grow in your mask and it will grow in the tubes. And so find a way, either hand wash it yeah. or use that. Do you have a machine? Yeah, I found what that. What kind did you get? Uh, did no, I? I'm talking about the sterilization machine. No, I didn't get a sterilization you gotta machine. you got to get one. Let me just tell oh, you. Oh, come on. You have an, Spend the money, get a sterilization the, machine. The tube fits on my bathroom sink. Oh. That I can plug the thing up to the bathroom sink, turn the hot water on. Yeah, but that's not enough. It's not a, well, I use you soap. you got to use soap. Yeah, I do You do use soap. I oh, put okay. soap in the center oh, and then okay. just run the thing through. But then make sure you rinse it. Well, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be breathing in the soap fumes. No, 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 no. Okay. I, I got my CPAP taken care of. Okay. It just didn't help me last night. All right, listen, you can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation oh by listening to this show. Another hour coming up.
Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. We're going to talk about intermittent fasting. Apparently, there are three ways to do it. I didn't know this. Yes. I've never been in favor of fasting. I've never been in favor of missing a meal. Really? Yeah, I don't I don't like doing that at all. Huh. Avocado. I nearly ate an avocado today. Oh. Or at least part of an avocado on toast. I had one last night. Really? Oh, it was good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, it was it's good. supposed to be good for you. Uh, Repatha and MI, myocardial infarction, as everybody knows, MI. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so where where do you want to start? Well, let's talk about the heart attack situation. When yeah. when I was a youngster in cardiology, yeah, um, we didn't do stents for heart attacks. Okay, stent is when you go in the leg or the arm with a long hollow tube called a catheter, engage the artery that feeds blood to the heart where you have a heart attack, and then we put this balloon through the catheter that's got a metal. Um, casing uh, attached to it and collapse, yeah. and then you inflate the balloon, push away the clot and the blockage, and then you pull it out, and there you go. You're wide open, and you're you've got blood flowing to the heart again. Right. So we used to use this thing called a clot buster, and then you know that was a um, a medicine that would attack the clot and break it up, and that way open the artery. But then. You might have a residual collection of cholesterol that was still not letting enough blood get through. That was eliminated by okay. stenting. Yeah. Well, then, you know, it was called the oculo balloon reflux, uh, reflex, where you would see a, a blockage also besides the one that was causing the heart attack. And you'd put a stent in that. Right. And then we were told, uh-uh-uh, uh-uh-uh, mm. uh, uh, only fix the one. That was causing the heart attack. And, you know, I looked at the evidence for that um, recommendation, and I was really unconvinced. I mean, and I wasn't quite sure why they were saying that. And I think there was a time in medicine where less was better. And I guess they were trying to prevent us from putting more stents in than were necessary. Well, lo and behold, the real studies were done. Yes. Where they randomized them. And they said, okay, you're having a heart attack. We're going to flip a coin. And if you fall into the heads group, you're going to get every single blockage fixed. Yeah. And if you fall into the tails group, we're just going to fix the blockage where you had your heart attack. And sure. guess who did better? People who got it, the full Monty. The full Monty. Yeah. Okay. So if you're lying there having a heart attack and you look up at your cardiologist, make sure that you tell him or her. Recent studies have shown, and they are randomized, controlled uh, studies, yes. that you should fix all the blockages. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. And see what they do. I want to um, see that. I want to see that on a on a television show. Man just grabs that white coat, pulls yeah. the doctor close, and says, you know, recent studies so show that in a randomized study yeah. that people who receive more stents do better than fewer stents. Yeah, but it's not just more stents. It's stents for the right reason. Okay. And that is open up all your blockages. Now, part of the thing uh, that I want to do on this program is education. Mm-hmm. I am not 
recommending that you tell your no, physician because he or she may have a reason not to put extra, you know, stents in the other blockages. But please, you can always say the studies have shown that it is advantageous to do so. Uh-huh. Does this apply to me? Right, 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 right. And, you know, there might be a cardiologist who gets upset when you say that, and, and that tells you one thing. Right. You need another cardiologist, a different one, because we should listen to our patients. You right. Know? And we should, we should understand uh, where they're coming from. And I can tell you this, um, it helps to be educated so that when you go into a situation, you can have some knowledge uh, and uh, have a discussion with your uh, cardiologist. I had two stent procedures. Yeah. One was through the arm. The and they, they call you a wrist patient. Yeah. The nurses call you right. a wrist patient. I got a wrist one coming in. Right. I got a wrist. Right. A wrist well, you patient. know why? It's a lot easier for the nurse when you have a wrist. Yes. And then the other one is groin. Yeah. It's not through the leg. It's groin. We used to call and them you, FEMS. Huh? FEM. Yeah? F-E-M. Femoral artery. And yeah. you are a groin patient yeah. for that day. And by the way, let me just offer this. If you're having the groin thing done, always... Go to the bathroom before. Before, yeah. Because even though you, you know, yeah. it's like driving in in your dad's station wagon. The point is, they don't let you do anything well, for a whole day. Okay, I was what we call a closure man. You were, yeah. So there's a, a couple of devices. Um, I I used one that actually put a suture in the artery. Yeah, and uh, it's called a ProGlide. Okay. Gliding in. Oh yeah. And it's it takes more technical skill. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. Good for you. I yeah. never had a one fail. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. You go in, you f- you flick a few switches, and you push a button, and it puts a suture in for you. Sure. And you pulled it out, and you affix the suture. And those you could get up pretty quickly in, okay. a, in a femoral region. Um, but I clearly think that um, nowadays the way to go for most cardiology, uh, interventional specialist. That's what you're called, an interventionalist. Yeah. Because you're intervening in the blockage with a stent. Um, use the wrist. A lot of times you can't get up there because, believe it or not, the arteries in the arm can be loop-de-loops. You know, they can... I didn't know that. Yeah, it looked like a pig's tail. Really? And so it's very hard to get the straight plastic catheter up through is, there. Is the difference between the wrist patient and the groin patient, is that... Where they're going to eventually put the stent? No, uh, it's it's usually a different type of catheter you use, because the way the catheters are shaped yeah. is they were you know they were shaped originally because everybody did them through the groin, um, and then when you started them do, doing them from the wrist, so you could avoid that potential bleed in the groin. It's very right. hard if you don't put a closure device in. Sometimes it's very hard to keep the pressure on the right place to keep it from bleeding yeah but anyway the catheters needed to be of a different shape yeah for the most part um because they wouldn't when you put them down there from the upper position on on the other side they wouldn't fit sometimes into the arteries now i used believe it or not most of the time i used the femoral arteries the groin arteries Mm -hmm. i just had a way of of doing it uh you know using the wire that supports it twisting it the right way but man they came up with some funky catheters to go through the wrist right. and then yeah. i can't remember the names yeah 
but I would use most of the time um, the groin catheters, and I just had a way of I could see things in three dimensions, even if they were only projected in two dimensions, and yeah. I I was good with my hands to sort of manipulate. But um, it's it's a technically different thing to go through the wrist versus to go through the groin. But I, 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 there are physicians in my era yeah. who are much more comfortable going through the groin, and they do that most of the time. And they're confident that they're going to get that groin uh, in, in sight um, closed. So right. who knows? Right. What did you like better? Oh, the wrist, yeah. obviously. Yeah, and I think that's the case. Most patients really like the wrist. Well, the it was – they the nurses were very nervous. I can understand it's their responsibility to get me through – the post-operative yeah. 12, 24 hours. And the whole idea was, you're not going to move. You're not moving your feet, Mr. Alexander. Mm. You are not crossing your ankles. You are not moving at all because I'm responsible if you happen to blow this artery. Yeah. Well, when, when I used the suture technique, yes, I even wrote, patient may sit up. Patient may sit up. Sit yeah. right up. Okay. And then I didn't want him to get out of bed for two hours. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think it was a really good technique. Okay. Yeah. Intermit- Ang- seal is another one, but anyway. Intermittent fasting. Yeah. Is this a good thing for me? Yeah. Um, you know, when you, I was growing up, wait, breakfast is the most important meal. You can't it is. Eat, miss yes, breakfast. You need to eat three squares a day, even if you're not hungry. Yeah, what a bunch of, you know what. Um, intermittent fasting works, and it helps to lose weight. And there's even uh, a school of dietitians who think that it's actually healthier for you mm-hmm. um, because it helps to you know regulate the sugar better. It's not you're co- constantly having a spike in your sugar that your body has to rush out insulin to do. Mm-hmm. And there's several types of f- fasting. There's basically three fasting strategies. Okay, one is you fast one day and eat the next. Okay, so fasting means Zero to 500 calories. And and that worked very well. Uh, there were six trials of feast and fast, feast yeah. and fast. Yeah. And that worked. They, people lost a great percentage of weight. Yes. The other two they called the 5-2. Five, five days eating, two days fasting. Wow. Now, to fast, you know, again, zero to 500 calories. I mean, you can have, you know, some celery. You can have... You know, very low-calorie foods. <laughs> but the important thing to do on those fasting days is to drink tons of water. Yes, yes. To expand your stomach so you feel like you have eaten. And then the other thing, which is what I have done a lot, because I, I miss meals because I'm busy, mm-hmm. right? So skip lunch, you know? Have a little bit of breakfast, skip lunch, yeah, and then have a reasonably sized meal for uh, dinner. Yeah. Interestingly, I've learned something in working in Johnston County. What's that? When you grew up, dinner was what? Five o'clock, six o'clock? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Dinner, when I, and I had this problem with my patients because I'd tell them, take this at dinner. Yeah. Okay? They take it at two o'clock in the afternoon. Ah, yes. Dinner in certain parts of the South is was the largest meal of the day because they were working in the field. Right. And so they'd be sweating and working all morning from sun up, and then it's eight hours yeah. to two o'clock. They have a big meal. Then they work a little bit in the afternoon and then have supper. Yeah. So supper and dinner are the same to me. Lunch is the mid-morning, the midday meal. But anyway, so eat a little breakfast, don't eat lunch, and then you have a reasonable meal 
for um, dinner or supper. And that's caloric restriction unless right. you do what I do when I get home. Eat like crazy. Have about 3,000 calories. Yeah, that's wrong. Wrong. It's a wrong thing to do. Yeah, okay. so if you've heard intermittent fasting is bad, that is not true. Okay. Okay, so don't finish your plate. If you're not hungry, stop eating. And then, we were told yeah. that's a waste of food. Okay, get some Tupperware, bro, and eat that food later. Right. I already Not own- that night. See, here's the thing. When somebody says, okay, you're wasting food, I already own the food. Mm. It's my, I own yeah. it. I don't need to eat it all. Yeah. That's not my responsibility. Yeah. You know, the biggest waste of food I've seen, which it really breaks my heart. What? It was, and I'm not going to name the grocery store because I love the grocery store, but they have a buffet. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you go down there and eat. You wouldn't believe half of it's thrown away. Yeah. They're not allowed you know, to serve of leftovers. Course. Of you course. Know? So I, I, what I would love is to see some of the food banks coming over there and grabbing the food and, and taking it back and feeding the homeless. But mm. I don't know. I guess right. some people do that, but it's a ba- amazingly waste of food. We're going to talk about the avocado. We're going to talk about a kid who's nine years old who was denied the right to have a an organ replaced yeah and you will not believe why yeah that's coming up also your phone calls 919-860-9783 always call between noon and two on a saturday afternoon on heart health radio this is heart health radio on the Heart Health Radio Network, this kid got denied for a kidney transplant because yeah. of why. Okay, his daddy would not get COVID vaccinated. Um, let me just say, I love the Cleveland Clinic. I think it's a wonderful place, uh, one of the best medical centers overall in the world. Yeah. I'm not going to just say the United States. Really good, dedicated team of people. But I think they've taken some things too far um they won't give a kidney to someone who won't have the vaccine themselves okay and they won't use a donor kidney that is from a person who is unvaccinated but they've taken it to the next step and so this kid got vaccinated he needed a kidney transplant right but his father was one of those people who was adamantly opposed to getting the vaccine and even though his kid was going to be at risk of death. If he did not get vaccinated, he wouldn't do it. Um, But then the Cleveland Clinic said, okay, tough luck. Kid's not getting a kidney. I really think that's wrong. And the way they look at it is that they think of kidneys as being a precious commodity. And therefore, they're not going to give it to somebody who has a risk of death. Yes. And so... um, they think that since the kid is going to be immunocompromised, that he would be at high risk for dying if the father gave him COVID. Now, in my mind, what if they, you know, do some things and, and instruct the father if he's not going to get the vaccine? You need to do this. You need to protect your son, right. et cetera, et cetera. I just think that it's, a, it's wrongheaded thinking to deny a life-saving measure right? because of this. And I think it's a small risk. I mean, it pretty much is. And, I mean, you know, what if what if the father had a DWI? 
All okay. right. Think All about right. that. Yeah. People who have DWIs, uh, that's driving while intoxicated, have a higher risk, much higher risk of having another one, and a much, much higher risk than, say, someone who's never had a DWI of, of causing or being involved in a fatal wreck. Yeah. So, you know, what would happen if if the Cleveland Clinic said, you've had a DWI and we're not going give to you, give your son a kidney because you may kill your son in a in, DWI. Sometime in the future. Right. So at some point we have to draw oh, a line. And, and they don't do that, by the way. That's what I'm saying. Right. Is that why wouldn't they do that if they're so worried about protecting the the kidney, the precious I, commodity that they're giving to the kid? And I, I think that just shows they're more worried about the kidney than they are about the kid. In other okay. words, they're not going to allow the child to get a kidney because they think somewhere down the road the dad who is unvaccinated might kill him with COVID. Right. Get COVID himself. The daddy doesn't make any sense. And then give it to the kid. The kid dies. And then their precious commodity, you know, the the organ available for transplant is quote unquote wasted. Uh, I just think that's wrongheaded. Now, I love the Cleveland Clinic, but I think they're being wrongheaded in this situation. And uh, the kid comes first. And I think the risk of the kid dying from COVID is extremely small. Right. Um, because, number one, um, we're hardly having any COVID now. Right. And um, I, I just I feel sad. Tanya in Clayton, welcome to Heart Health Radio. Hi, Tanya. Hey there, Dave. How are you doing? Hey, I love the name Tanya. I think oh. it's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have a question on sure. the subject of transplant. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember or not, probably not, that's okay, but I have two children with disabilities, uh, one with Down syndrome and one with autism. Yes. And um, back especially when the COVID was really raging, um, a lot of people in the disability community were up in arms about the fact that some hospitals were saying that they would not approve transplants to like lung transplants or heart or what have you due to the fact that the child had a disability. And I'm wondering what your take is on that. My take is that that is horrible. Um, I, I was hoping you'd say that. Well, now, let, let me tell you, I have uh, several patients um, with significant developmental disabilities, fragile X syndrome, uh, uh, Down syndrome, mm-hmm. um, and even some other trisomies uh, that are very, very um, debilitating. And they're wonderful people. Yeah. Um, I think that if we're going to say, for example, that a human being who wishes to change gender is a human being, then we have to say somebody with three chromosomes for chromosome 21 is as much a human being as any of us. And whether they can communicate in a normal fashion, whether they have a physical appearance that is not quote-unquote normal, they are as worthy of our love and our care as any other human being and Thank you. i just you know <laughs> i agree um, fully and the whole con- well, not less than. yeah and the downs syndrome people are more 
uh, were more susceptible to having a serious complication. We don't know why uh, from COVID. But that doesn't mean that they should not be treated uh, as anyone else for transplant. For example, okay, uh, 40% to 50% of the people who died with COVID are diabetics. Are we going to deny a transplant to a diabetic on that same mm-hmm. region? Of course not. So if you look at the tragedy of how we perceive uh, special needs uh, individuals, people with um, chromosomal abnormalities and genetic abnormalities, in Iceland, there are no longer human beings being born with trisomy 21. They abort them all. Yeah. And the whole concept of uh, the new way of ethical thinking, the non-religious way of ethical thinking, is they talk about maximizing happiness. And that if somebody is born like a Down syndrome person, that they can't be happy. Well, I got news for those folks. Really? Me too. Some of the most happy people I've ever met have Down syndrome. Did you did you see about the woman who's the first runway model with Downs? Did you read yeah. that article? Yeah. yeah. She's gorgeous. That yeah. And even if she wasn't gorgeous, you know, um, it's right. wonderful. And there are now um, people who have uh, significant uh, responsibilities and jobs who have Down syndrome. And the spectrum of Down syndrome is is very wide. I've I've had mm-hmm. patients who really were in in uncommunicative, um, and I've had patients who were uh, wonderfully um, equipped to live independent lives. Yeah. So I think this is a shame. And if I found a doctor who would say that, uh, I would sit him or her down. Tanya, thank you. Tell him stop this. Thank you, Tanya. God bless. Thank you. All right. This is Heart Health Radio. Coming up, we're going to talk about the Pfizer vaccine and hearing loss. What? Hearing loss. We're going to talk. Oh. Grandpa, we're going to talk about hearing (laughs) loss. I am a grandpa. Okay. That's coming up. Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network, where you get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. Now back to heart health. Have a question for Dr. Weefall? Call 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Why should I be eating avocados? I don't well, like avocados. Okay. The avocado has a lot of really good things in it. Um, yeah. If you think about um, health, uh, antioxidants. Uh, uh-huh. Basically, your body rusts from the inside out. I didn't I mean, know that. Oxidation is what rust is. And so oxygen's a poison. And we've learned uh, our bodies and and every animal and and living thing learned how to take that poison and turn it into energy, okay? Okay. So oxidation is also a part of why we develop cholesterol buildup in the arteries of our body. So it's got antioxidants. It's got all sorts of goodies, uh, vitamins and minerals that we need. So what they did was they looked back on a group of professional, uh, medical professionals, nurses, Mm -hmm. physicians, and they followed these people for 20, 30 years. And they found that those who had two avocados a day, Uh. I mean a day, I'm sorry, a week. My brain isn't functioning right now. I've had too much Benadryl. I'm kidding. 
Not enough avocados. Um, those who had at least two avocados a week, and I'm not talking about the whole shebang no. avocado, just two servings, had a 25% lower risk of dying of a heart attack or stroke. That's not randomized. Okay, so, I mean, that's not prospective. It's retrospective. So right. you could possibly imagine that those people who were genetically less likely to have a heart attack also had a genetic predisposition to like avocados. Yeah. Now, that's probably not the case, but it's not proof right. that you should have an avocado twice a week. But here's what I'm going to say, and this is what I've always talked about in terms of you know following these types of studies. I mean, the bottom line is it can't hurt you. So have at it. Have two servings of avocados a day. Now, here's the problem. A week. Why do I keep saying a day? No, but I'm telling you right now. It's like when I would say vaccine versus virus or virus versus vaccine. Nobody a day. Nobody is going to eat two a day. Actually, I would. You would. Let me tell you, ranch dressing is really great stuff. I think there's two uh, condiments that should be elevated to the level of vegetables. Yeah, what are they? And that's ranch dressing and ketchup. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ketchup is not great for you. It's got lots of sugar in it. But yeah. ranch dressing, you can if you're on a low sugar, low simple carbohydrate diet, ranch dressing is perfect for are you. Are you telling me to put ranch well, I, dressing this is not on an for, avocado? Yeah. So what you do is you get some ranch dressing yeah. and you dip your avocado in it. Oh my god, that's so good. It's really good. I swear. Go to your store right now. Yes. Get an avocado. Avocado. Get on the, uh, this is important. Get on the internet. Google, how do you peel an avocado? Right. It's a specific right. way to sure, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. There's a big old nut in the middle of that. There thing. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I love it. And I highly recommend it. And it okay. might. Yeah. Just might. Yes. Yeah. Make it less likely you're going to have a heart attack. Okay. Because avocado is in a class of food to me with tofu. Not just because people who eat avocados also might like yeah, tofu. Yeah, they tend to wear Birkenstocks and not shave their legs. Okay, and they yeah. go to the health food stores and yeah. they eat nuts. And well, here's I'm the wearing point. Birkenstocks and I don't shave my legs. Neither one of those things has a taste. They only have a texture. You have not had a decent avocado. Okay. okay. Let me tell you about avocados. So they are really expensive. And mm-hmm. Mexico now is really into avocado growing. But California yeah. is it. And they use a lot of water. Who, who's the? Who's Tom the, Selleck. Tom Selleck. Boo Tom. He's, a, He's an avocado farmer on the side. And they caught him yeah. stealing water. Uh, yeah. They, he went down <laughs> to a reservoir yeah. with a huge water truck in the middle of the night. Yeah. And sucked the water out of the reservoir into his water truck and used it to, you know, amplify the growth of his avocado. Tom Selleck did this himself? Oh, I don't He got caught. I don't know. Tom Selleck did he this. He might have hired somebody to do it. I don't know. But I just imagine Magnum P.I. Yeah. Instead of in his Ferrari. Stealing water. Driving down in a water truck very quickly. Sucking up all the water out of the reservoir and watering his avocados. They're very expensive. And that's the other thing I want to tell people out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Californians and the Birkenstocks and the unshaved legs yeah. are usually rich. Oh, when, they are. If yeah, they're avocado yeah. eaters. Because right, you got to be. I don't know how much an avocado costs. 
Um, but I love them. Yeah, okay. Ranch dressing. I can't even imagine it. It's All awesome. Right. All right, so I'm you know I'm a macaroni and well, cheese also, guy. Well, also guacamole. I mean, do you, do you eat guacamole? We at do. The Mexican? Yes, we That's do. That's avocados. I know it is. The, the okay. point is, I eat a little tiny bit of guacamole. Guac. I only eat it until it starts to turn brown. Uh, I and like that's brown about guac. An hour. Just you mix know. it up. The brown goes away. All right. We are finding that there are some side effects to the vaccine. Absolutely there are. The Pfizer Absolutely. vaccine might be tied to hearing loss. That's correct. And How is this? We don't know why. And it's the risk is extremely small. Yes. But there may be uh, a cross immune reaction that affects our hair cells. And I'm not talking about the hairs on your head. Yeah. Inside your ear are thousands of little teeny weeny hairs. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the eardrum will uh, vibrate and it moves these little bones called the stapes and the hammer, etc. Yeah. And then that um, vibrates the inner ear and the inner ear is filled with fluid and it's the quality of the vibration and the frequency of the vibration yes. that stimulates certain hair cells and the high frequency hair cells are the ones that are gone for yes. me. Yes. I can't hear women whisper. That's yes. good and bad. Yes. Um, But anyway, so it it may be that the hair cells are affected. Now, I want to tell you right now, you read this story. Yeah. It's not going to make you deaf. It's extremely rare. Yeah. Um, For example, you can have what's called pericarditis and myocarditis from these vaccines. But the risk of that is maybe one person in, you know, a whole slew that gets it from the vaccine versus gets it naturally. Hearing loss is a huge problem. You know, it, what bothered me most about the the uh, pandemic, COVID, hmm. is the mask wearing. Because I lost a huge ability to communicate with people. Right. Most people who have subacute hearing loss, like, you know, I have acute hearing No, I have chronic hearing loss. But I'm talking about... You know, just a minor amount of hearing loss. Yeah. They went very, very crazy and unhappy when the mask went on. Yeah. Because believe it or not, we are reading the lips and hearing the noise and creating the understanding. So I can actually read lips now without people talking. Right. Not 100%. But if I can look at your face without a mask, I can understand you 100%. Put that mask on, and I'm sorry, I hear the noise, but I can't understand what those noises mean in terms of language. That's another reason why I hate this mask business. Right. And they're all, right. I'm, not, you know, I'm not the only one. I've had several, several people come up to you and say, I never knew I had hearing problems until the masks went on. You know? now, now, we're still masking in all medical offices. And, yes? Okay. No. I'm requiring masks in the waiting room. Okay. Um, but when I am in a room with a patient, I have the uh, exam chair yeah. and my chair yeah. about eight feet apart. Okay. And then what I say to the patients are that I, I think safely you can remove your mask if you feel uncomfortable Yeah. removing your mask, I understand. Sarah in Holly Springs, welcome to the program. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Good. What's up? Well, I am on uh, Eloquist, and I have recently hurt myself, and that's how I ended up on Eloquist. 
and this is twice I've had blood clots, but I'm wanting to know what I can take because I have arthritis in both of my shoulders, and they say they can't give me any arthritis medicine because of the Eliquis. Okay, you're on Eliquis because of an injury? Yes, twice I, I fractured or I broke my scapula, and the time before I fell and I broke a rib, and I ended up with a blood clot. And now you're on Eliquis. Where's the blood clot yeah. located? Where was it located? The first one was in my leg. Oh, wow. The second one, the most recent one was in my lung. Oh, my gosh. So that traveled up from some vein below and went in your lung. That's called a pulmonary embolus, right? Is that what they told you? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. And how long have so you been? They, I'm sorry, go ahead. After I fell in time, they did check me for blood clots in my leg. And I did not have them. Okay, great. And how long ago was all this clot business? This was last September. Is when I fell in October. Is when they found the okay. blood clot, or okay. the end of September. Okay. How long do they want you to stay on the medicine? Did well, they, they didn't say. They said at least six months. Okay. I'm going to the doctor in two weeks uh-huh. to see if I can come off. Yeah. Primary. So she doesn't think I'll be able to come off since I've had twice had blood clots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and you're going to have a procedure done, is that correct? No, no. Oh, you just want to know if you can come off in general. Yeah, and I want to know what I could do for the arthritis in my shoulders because it's so painful. They and they want to do an injection, now, right? That doesn't help. It, I'm sorry, they want to do an injection of your shoulder, is that right? No, I've had injections. I have had injections, okay. and it's every three months. Okay. I'm trying to. Th- I yeah, think what's the, Sarah. What's the thing of the shoulder? I I'm think, sorry, I'm not getting. I it. think Sarah is reporting to us that she's on Eliquis. Yeah. And they're not letting her take other things. Sarah, oh. is that the point? In other words, yeah. you have shoulder pain and you want to take something like Advil. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Or something for arthritis. Yeah. Okay. So let me tell you um, what I do. If somebody's got a pretty good iron stomach, mm-hmm. okay, um, I say, you know, maybe twice, three times a week you can have some Advil. The reason why we don't want people in general to take something like a non-steroidal Advil, Aleve, things like that, is in case it irritates your stomach mm-hmm. and then you bleed. Yeah. Okay. Now, I don't think that taking an Advil makes you more likely to bleed from somewhere else, although there are people who think that Advil will, is kind of a blood thinner and will make you bleed more. Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty safe. If you've had a pulmonary embolus and a blood clot, say, six months ago, and there's uh-huh. no evidence of another blood clot, I find it, and I'm not saying about you in general because you have to check with your physician on this, I find with uh-huh. my patients, I let them interrupt it. So suppose they wanted to do an injection of your shoulder, just hypothetical. I'd say, okay, stop your elicus for two days, have your injection, and start it back in a day. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very safe. Now, the big question with you is whether you're going to get another clot. Um, and yeah. have your doctors checked you for a clotting predisposition? And by that, I mean being genetically more susceptible to clots. Um, because eh, that's basically... My feeling, what I would do uh, if somebody's had a clot that was unexpected or if they had a clot that went to their lung, there are several conditions, uh, factor five Leiden deficiency 
antithrombin-3 deficiency, protein C, protein S. These are all things that we know and can measure. And my feeling would be if somebody had a clot associated with something we know could be associated with clots, like, you know, falling down and having their leg compressed for, you know, a few hours. But I generally think that healthy people don't get clots. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there was a guy that I had who was in an airplane for 14 hours and he got up, massaged his legs, and he still got a clot. And he had factor V Leiden deficiency. And it turns out that probably 20 years ago, he had a clot to his lung. Uh, And back then, he just didn't go to the doctor and have it checked out. So he's on Eliquis permanently. Right. And, you know, he had to have his uh, couple teeth pulled. And I said, okay, fine. You know, come off of it for two days or so and then go back on it. But uh, the decision as to whether to keep you on it is going to be between you and your physician. But one of the things that you can do now as a educated uh, person is to say, should I have myself tested for a predisposition, genetic predisposition in my blood, you know, proteins to clot too much? And then that could help guide. Uh, I had a lady who was 72 who out of the blue got a clot in her leg mm-hmm. and she had um, protein C deficiency. So, you know, it's just something to bring up with your doctor. I don't know. Um, I've had somebody who had a reason to have a clot, uh, did not have any of these things, uh, mm-hmm. these issues, and I took him off his uh, eloquence, and he's done fine for three years. So it's a tough question. Yeah. Is I there hope- anything else I could take, though, for arthritis? Because he did she wants some that. other suggestion. Yeah, and, of okay. course, Sarah, you're going to discuss this with your yeah, doctor. Yeah, but uh, Tylenol uh, is not an anti-inflammatory. But Tylenol is fairly safe. Uh, it's it's recommended in reasonable doses. And then I'm going to talk about, you know, another medication, which is a topical treatment. Yeah. Have you ever gotten diclofenac gel? Uh, that's a, yes, I just put some on this morning. Yeah, how's that work? Not so good. Okay. Have you ever had tramadol? Yes, I have that too. Yeah. Does that help? That doesn't seem to help either. Okay. What helps you? Ibuprofen or a leave. Yeah. All right. Here, here's the thing then. Um, suffering is suffering. Quality of life. Okay. Right. Right. So discuss with your physician. You can say, look, okay, what's the risk of a clot off of Eliquis versus my quality of life? And not hurting so much. And it, that may be a factor in stopping your eloquence as well right. um, because it's reasonable. I think that pain sucks. <laughs> I mean, I hate it. It does. It does. <laughs> you know? It does. And so, you know, okay, so let's, let's just talk about um, a hypothetical percentage. Yeah. Let's say your percentage of clotting again was one in a thousand. Mm-hmm. And you were going to be careful uh, not falling not banging your leg. Uh, you're not going to stay in a car for more than two hours before you get out and stretch your legs. You're not going to take an 18-hour plane ride, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole long list you can Google. It's one in a thousand. And then, you know, you say, I'm going to weigh that risk versus uh, feeling better in terms of my arthritis. Yeah. And that's a re- – listen, that's reasonable. I mean, life is not just – Avoiding the risks of potential medical problems. It's also living a life as free of pain 
and, and being able to do what you want to do. So, yeah, I mean, if leave and Advil work for you, uh, and you're coming up on six months or longer after having a clot, that was reasonable in terms of, of uh, what caused it, then I would discuss with your physician and say, look, what's my risk of, of having another clot to my lung? And part of that might be, and again, talk to your physician about getting tested for the genetic, genetic predisposition to clotting in general. And then if that's negative, and you're feeling fine, and, and the uh, test of your veins show no clots, etc., then I think it would be reasonable to ask your physician to say, look, here's my low risk of getting another clot, and here's my high risk of suffering and not, able, not being able to live without pain. You know, the interesting thing is people look at somebody, yeah. they can't see that you're in pain, Yeah. right? Yeah. So you look right. fine. You're probably a healthy-looking young woman, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, yeah, right, you're in pain. Uh-huh. Well, I've had pain, and pain is terrible. I've had a really yeah. bad back. Now, let me, let me just say this. Um, do you take any supplements for your pain? I take um, C3. I take um, B12. B12. Turmeric. Turmeric. Yeah. Okay, so you're doing the turmeric. How about milk, milk thistle and ginger? You know what? We listened to your program about a month ago, and you said milk thistle. Yeah, right. Milk yeah. thistle, and we just bought some. Yeah, and oh, then yeah. there's something, if you have a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Relief factor. Relief factor. Now, why do why do I say it that way? He, I don't know if you listen to Fox News, but they have this guy up there. Has got a is he English? Is, uh, he sounds as Australian as yeah, I thought. It's I think called he's Relief English. Factor. Now, what it is is a is a pro- proprietary blend of stuff that's not proprietary. Okay, yeah, so yeah. it's turmeric or turmeric. It's milk thistle. It's ginger, but it's also I think it's got some resveratrol in it, which is made out of grape skins. Anyway, it works. <laughs> and the way these things all work is reduce inflammation. Now, some people have a greater response to it than others. But if you're going to do it, you're going to have to realize it's not like Advil. It's not like a leave. Right. It's not direct acting and immediate acting. Right. Right. It takes two to three weeks for you to lower the amount of inflammation in your bloodstream. And then you get some relief from it. So I had some people say, you know, Doc, I took two turmeric. I took two ginger. Yeah, and I took two milk thistles. And I'm calling you in the morning because I'm not better. Yeah. And that's not going to happen. Um, what's going to happen yeah. is three weeks well. of this, you probably, you may be one of the people that respond to it. Right. So if you have enough money, I take this stuff, um, <laughs> your turmeric ginger over the counter, but I do uh-huh. take I do take a very expensive um, uh, supplement that is just pure vegetables and fruits. And uh, that's on uh, Fox News as well. You're right, right, right. And, you know, it, it's, it depends on what you want to spend your money on. But if you if you're if you're willing to do that, you got to do it for three four weeks before you decide whether it's working, because okay. again that's a long. T- and I just had my inflammation checked again. Yeah. yeah. When I was when I was an idiot, and didn't pay attention to my cholesterol, I had a blockage in my artery and one in my neck, and my C-reactive protein, which is a measure of inflammation, was eight, yeah. which is really high. Is it okay? Yeah. So I'm on 
the Relief Factor program. I don't take Relief Factor, but I take everything in it. Yeah. And it's less than 0.1. Oh, good for you. Okay. So give that a chance. Talk to your doctor about the risk of another clot versus being miserable with pain. Thank you, Sarah. come up with a conclusion. Thank you, Sarah. This is Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me wanna kick my heels up and down through my hands. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Who are Helen and Freddie Williams? Wonderful people. Really? Yeah, I've been taking care of Freddie uh, and uh, his uh, wonderful companion and wife and life. And wife and life, I guess you can't, that's a, a, a term. <laughs> anyway, I'm mumbling. Uh, what I want to say is that, you know, they've had significant health problems. Um, yeah. She's had, her, and I've had permission to discuss this. So if you're listening from the medical board, I'm not violating anything. Um, significant health problems. She's had a heart attack, and, and he's had uh, atrial fibrillation and other heart problems. And they're a prime example of when you take your medicine. When you, you know, try to do everything you can, you do well. Yeah. I mean, Helen has not had a single heart problem since, and she's on multiple medications, and she doesn't mind taking them. Uh, Freddie is the same, not had a stroke. He's not had, you know, his blood pressure's under good control. So I I want to shout them out as an example. I mean, they're they're elderly. I mean, they are, you know, uh, over... 85 years old, and they're still active, and they still drive to my office. They still go out and do their own shopping. But you know what? I always like to ask my patients, you know, know, after been waiting an hour and a half to see me. Yeah. And I say, so what are y'all going to do today? And they wouldn't tell me. Yeah. Okay. And I thought maybe it was something that, you know, was private. And I said, so can I just tell me? He says, well, we watch TV. And I say, Okay. What do you watch? You know what they said? What? Judge shows. Oh, sure. Do you know how many there are? Oh, a lot. Yeah. Nine. Nine? They watch nine different judge shows. So I'm looking <laughs> on here. Apparently, it's not Judge Judy anymore. It's Judy Justice. Right, right. Uh, did she Did she? Yeah, uh, she had a out? break. She had a break All with right. the There's divorce court. Company. Yeah. There's Lauren Lake's paternity <laughs> court. There's Judge Faith. There's Judge Jerry. There's Judge Steve Harvey has his own judge show. Sure he does. Yes, yes. Oh my God, Judge Joe Brown. How He's a good do one. This? He's a good one. So yeah. why don't we do this? Why don't we have a doctor show? Yes, where the person comes in, uh huh, and we diagnose him or her on <laughs> the show. <laughs> you know, there are certain exams we couldn't do. Although I guess we could. You know, have them go around the thing, and right, do right, a right, yeah. exam, and, and hear the screen. That's not a good idea. No, but this no, is... I, I just want to say, you know, getting involved in the lives of our patients is really important. You know, they're 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 probably not listening to the show because there's probably a judge show on right now. Well, that's it. That's all the time we have for Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. 